Okay. Good afternoon, everyone. <laughs> okay, what does the Lord have in store for us today? Hopefully you'll bear with me. I haven't been 100% this week, but I was greatly encouraged by Paul's word to his son in the faith. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Timothy 4.2. Paul says, Preach the word. Prepare, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. This letter that Paul wrote to Timothy was probably written maybe about 2,000 years ago. But what Paul writes then is just as relevant today. You know, in the men's fellowship yesterday, we discussed these matters regarding sound doctrine and the importance of the truth. And we looked at one particular erroneous doctrine that has infiltrated the church. I won't tell you what it is because I don't want to repeat it. But we discussed the matter of sound doctrine and how important it was to know the truth to understand the truth and to preach the truth. So this is what we aim to do. Every week as we come, Sunday by Sunday, those who stand before you endeavour to preach the truth. Because we want to preach the truth, because we want to receive the truth. And as we receive the truth, we want to embrace the truth. And as we embrace the truth, we want to live by the truth and walk by the truth. Amen? Amen? You know, the scripture also says that God in the latter days will send strong delusion and many will be deceived. But you don't have to worry because the only ones who will be deceived, as the scripture says, are those who do not love the truth and who love wickedness. So if you don't want to be deceived, the answer is very simple. Love the truth and hate wickedness. Amen? Amen? This pertains to what I want to speak about today. It's uh, one of those subjects which are very controversial in the Christian church. There are very many different views about this subject. I don't know if you remember, last week I asked you what Sunday it was and we said it was, what did we say? Pentecost Sunday. Well, this Sunday is Trinity Sunday. So that's what I'm going to speak about today. I'm going to speak about the Trinity. As I say, it's quite a controversial subject in some parts of the church. But if we hold to the truth, there's no need to be confused in any way. Chris, the scripture speaks very plainly about the Trinity. So that's what we're going to look at today. But we're not just going to look at doctrine. We also want to celebrate 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because God is not just a subject for our investigation, he is to be worshipped and adored and celebrated. So that's what we want to do today. Amen? Amen. Okay. Just in case you were wondering about this doctrine of the Trinity and where it appears in Scripture, I want to tell you that it appears in the very first chapter of the Bible. It's alluded to in Genesis 1. I'm going to read Genesis 1 and 26, where it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule. There we have it. That's the Trinity. God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Three plurals in one verse. So you see, from the very beginning, the scripture speaks regarding the Trinity of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's what we want to look at today. Are you ready? Okay. Trinity Sunday is the first Sunday after Pentecost to honour the Holy Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And although the word Trinity does not appear in Scripture, the concept of the Trinity is clearly taught in Scripture. And that's what we want to look at today. Let's start with Matthew 28. Hopefully by the end of this message you'll be convinced, if you aren't convinced already. Matthew 28, 16-20 says this. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in or into the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you, always to the very end of the age. Now God's name is a revelation of who God is. If you want to know who God is, you must discover the names by which he reveals himself. God reveals himself by his names. We know God by his names. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Jehovah Rapha, the God who is my peace. Jehovah Shalom, sorry, the God who is my peace. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord who is my banner. God reveals himself according to and by his names. And Jesus says, therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in or into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, into the name. It's singular, not the names, but the name. One name, one God. The one God who is revealed in Scripture as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. 
God's name represents his being. That is who he is. And God's name represents his nature and his character. And Jesus says to the eleven disciples, gather together on a mountain to meet with him. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. His authority is complete, perfect and universal. And his authority has been given to him by the Father. And by right of that authority given to him by the Father, Jesus commands the disciples to therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The command to go and teach and to baptise comes from the Father, from the Son and from the Holy Spirit. They are united in one purpose. And they must be taught to obey everything that Jesus has commanded the disciples. And Jesus says, surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Everything Jesus teaches and commands, he teaches and commands with the authority of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus assures the disciples of his continued presence with him to the very end of the age. Let's go to 2 Corinthians, chapter 13. I'm going to have quite a few scriptures because I want you to be convinced that the doctrine of the Trinity is a biblical doctrine. It appears all throughout the scripture. So we're going to have a look at quite a few scriptures. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. Paul says in his final greeting to the church at Corinth, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The ministry and work of the triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, extending and supplying grace, love and fellowship to all. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's much in the Bible about grace, partly because there's much in the Bible about sin. Grace is the undeserved favour of God. Romans 5.20 and 21 tells us, The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign in righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. People repeatedly sin and rebel against God. Yet God in his grace is still ready to forgive them when they repent. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 For it is by grace 
you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. God extends his grace to us. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God. The love that God has for man originates solely in God's sovereign will. He loves people because he chooses to love them, not because they in any way deserve it. If we had to wait till we deserve God's love, we would never receive his love. He loves us because he is a loving God, not because we are deserving of his love. Romans 5.8 tells us, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 1, 4-6 For he, that is the Father, chose us in him, that is in Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he, that is the Father, predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. Why? To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. Isn't that marvellous? God gives us his love freely. We don't have to work for it. We can't earn it. God gives us freely his love through the son that he loves. So we have the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God our Father. Also the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. John 14, 15 to 17. Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor, another comforter, to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. And the world cannot accept him, why? Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But we know him. Why? Because he lives in us and will be with us. Isn't it marvellous? The gift of God, the Holy Spirit, given to the church, is both with us and in us. And the Holy Spirit counsels us and he comforts us. And we have the fellowship of his presence. The presence of God in us and with us. When we speak about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, we don't mean that he's our best buddy. And that we get on well together. The fellowship really means that he's with us. His presence is continuously with us. And he lives in us. That's the fellowship that we have with him. In fact, Jesus says that the spirit that is in us is in us and abides with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. As Jesus left the disciples and went into heaven, he said the spirit will be with you and continue with you forever. So we don't have to despair. We don't have to be disheartened. God's presence goes with us wherever we go. He is always with us. He will never leave us 
neither will he forsake us. And Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 3.16, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Isn't that marvellous? God's spirit lives in each one of us. Those of us, as the scripture says, we were far off. We were enemies of the cross of Christ and yet we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And now God's spirit lives in each one of us. Amen. Amen. Let's go to Psalm 8.1. I said we, not only do we want to have a look at doctrine, but we want to appreciate God for who he is. And this is how David puts it. Psalm 8.1. He says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Majesty means stateliness or status. Status as a ruler or as king. Majesty means grandeur, supreme power. And glory is praise or honour, splendour, adoration or worship. And all these things our God deserves because of who he is. He is majestic in all of his ways. He's majestic in his being. He's majestic in his character. And remember, we said that God's name represents his being, who he is. His name represents his nature and his character. His name is majestic because he is majestic in his being, in his nature and in his character. And God has the highest position, the highest status, the greatest magnificence, and he has the supreme power in all of the earth and in all the heavens. And all of these attributes apply equally to each person of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our God is majestic, and he is excellent in all of his ways. Listen to Elihu's response to Job. This is Job 37.23. Elihu says, The Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power. In his justice and great righteousness, he does not oppress. Let's read David's prayer before the assembly. This is 1 Chronicles 29. God is worthy of our praise because of who he is and what he means to each one of us. This, these are David's words. 1 Chronicles 29. This is just before David's death when all of the resources have been collected for the building of the temple. Let's read that. 1 Chronicles 29 verse 10. This is David before the assembly of the people. He says, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power, and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as heaven over all. 
Wealth and honour come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Isn't that wonderful? Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Let's keep going. Very familiar scripture. John 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So then, let's unpack that. In the beginning was the Word, that is Jesus. And the Word, Jesus, was with God the Father. And the Word, Jesus, was God. He, Jesus the Word, was with God the Father in the beginning. John 1.3 And through him, that is through Jesus, all things were made and without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus the Word made all things and without him, that is without Jesus, nothing was made that has, has been made. Remember John 1.1 1, 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and Jesus the Word is God. Jesus is the creator of all things. John 1.4 In him, that is in Christ, was life and that life was the light of men. Jesus the Word is the source of all life. He is the eternal God who gives life and light. That is the revelation of who God is to all men, to everyone. And John says in John 1.14, that same word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, the one who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. The word Jesus, God the Son, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's the incarnation. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, the divine glory of the eternal Son of God, the divine glory of the eternal Word of God. He came from the Father with the Father's authority and he is full of grace and truth, full of God's grace and full of God's truth. Are you becoming convinced? <laughs> God is a trinity. He's revealed in scripture as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, in John 10.30, Jesus says these words, I and the Father are one. Let's unpack that. In John 10, Jesus represents himself as the good shepherd. And in a debate with the Jewish leaders, makes the claim, 
I and the Father are one. It's a bold statement. And his audience found it quite audacious. And it reveals much about who Jesus is. There are five key observations we can make about this passage. First of all, Jesus claimed to be one with God the Father. In the sense of being equal to him. Jesus did not claim merely to be a messenger or prophet of God, which some do, but of equal power with God the Father. Second, his audience understood that Jesus was claiming equality with God the Father. It says in verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone Jesus. Why? Because of blasphemy. Blasphemy was a crime punishable by death, according to the Jewish law. And when Jesus asked why they were planning to kill him, they answered, for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. They were in no doubt as to what Jesus was claiming. Third, Jesus referred to himself as God's son and to God as his father. He indicates that the Messiah has the right to the claim to be the Son of God. Not a Son of God, but the Son of God. I and the Father are one. Fourth, Jesus claimed that the Father had sent him. The one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world. In this statement, Jesus claimed pre-existence in the Father's presence. No biblical prophet had ever made such a claim before, yet Jesus claimed to exist in the Father's presence before the creation of the world. In fact, in John 8:58, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And fifthly, Jesus only stated that the Jews did not believe him. He said that they had misunderstood him. He claimed to be God. They refused to understand what he was saying. They knew him as Joseph's son. They didn't understand who he was. They misunderstood his claim, so they disbelieved his claim to be the Son of God. Jesus says, oh, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. And the reason they didn't understand was because they didn't believe. In fact, Jesus wasn't correcting their misunderstanding. In fact, in a sense, they did understand what he was saying, but he was correcting their willful rejection of who he was. Colossians 1.16 affirms Jesus' same teaching. Paul says, In him, that is in Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers, or authorities. All things have been cr created through him 
and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. In summary, Jesus claimed to be one with God the Father. That he had existed from eternity past with God the Father. Lived in oneness with God the Father. Held the same power as God the Father. And was sent by the Father's authority. And as we close, let's speak about the Holy Spirit, who is also God. John 14, 25 to 26, Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, all this I've spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. The Holy Spirit, who is it? God, is our counsellor and our comforter. He gives us guidance and he gives us reassurance. And the Holy Spirit is sent by the Father and he is sent in the name of the Son. He's sent with and by the divine authority of the Father. And he is sent to represent the Son, to continue the work of the Son and to speak on behalf of the Son. And Jesus says he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. John 16, 13, Jesus says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own authority. He will speak only what he hears from the Father. And he will tell you what is yet to come. So this Trinity Sunday, I hope you're convinced about the doctrine of the Trinity. I hope that you're convinced that God is revealed in Scripture as Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So this Trinity Sunday, let's celebrate Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Let's celebrate the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's celebrate the love of God, our Father. And let's celebrate the fellowship and the communion of the Holy Spirit. And in doing that, as Jesus commanded, let us go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. And surely he is with us always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. Yes, you don't have to walk, to walk, to walk along these sense. Hallelujah.